This is Warrior's Way Podcast, episode 54, and I'm James Eek. I've racked my mind and heart for what I ought to say to you today. I've asked myself what I wish I'd known at my own graduation and what important lessons I have learned in the 21 years that have expired between that day and this. I've come up with two answers. On this wonderful day when you are gathered together to celebrate academic success, I've decided to talk to you about the benefits of failure. And as you stand on the threshold of what is sometimes called real life, I want to extol the crucial importance of imagination. These may seem paradoxical choices, but please bear with me. Looking back at the 21-year-old that I was at graduation is a slightly uncomfortable experience for the 42-year-old that she has become. Half my lifetime ago, I was striking an uneasy balance between the ambition I had for myself and what those closest to me expected of me. I was convinced that the only thing I wanted to do, ever, was to write novels. However, my parents, both of whom came from impoverished backgrounds and neither of whom had been to college, took the view that my overactive imagination was an amusing personal quirk that would never pay a mortgage or secure a pension. I know that the irony strikes with the force of a cartoon anvil now. So they hoped that I would take a vocational degree. I wanted to study English literature. A compromise was reached that in retrospect satisfied nobody, and I went up to study modern languages. Hardly had my parents' car rounded the corner at the end of the road than I decided to ditch German and scuttled off down the classics corridor. I would like to make it clear, in parentheses, that I do not blame my parents for their point of view. There's an expiry date on blaming your parents for steering you in the wrong direction. The moment you are old enough to take the wheel, responsibility lies with you. What is more, I cannot criticize my parents for hoping that I would never experience poverty. They had been poor themselves, and I have since been poor. And I can quite agree with them that it is not an ennobling experience. Poverty entails fear and stress and sometimes depression. It means a thousand petty humiliations and hardships. Climbing out of poverty by your own efforts, that is indeed something on which to pride yourself. But poverty itself is romanticized only by fools. What I fear most for myself at your age was not poverty, but failure. At your age, in spite of a distinct lack of motivation at university where I had spent far too long in the coffee bar writing stories and far too little time at lectures, I had a knack for passing examinations and that, for years, had been the measure of success in my life and that of my peers. I'm not dull enough to suppose that because you're young, gifted, and well-educated, You have never known hardship or heartbreak. Talent and intelligence never yet inoculated anyone against the caprice of the fates. 
and I do not for a moment suppose that everyone here has enjoyed an existence of unruffled privilege and contentment. However, the fact that you're graduating from Harvard suggests that you are not very well acquainted with failure. You might be driven by a fear of failure quite as much as a desire for success. Indeed, your conception of failure might not be too far from the average person's idea of success, so high have you already flown. Ultimately, we all have to decide for ourselves what constitutes failure, but the world is quite eager to give you a set of criteria if you let it. So I think it fair to say that any conventional measure, a mere seven years after my graduation day, I had failed on an epic scale. An exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded. I was jobless, a lone parent, and as poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. The fears that my parents had for me and that I had for myself had come to pass. And by every usual standard, I was the biggest failure I knew. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that failure is fun. That period of my life was a dark one. I had no idea that there was going to be what the press has since represented as a kind of fairy tale resolution. I had no idea then how far the tunnel extended and for how long time any light at the end of it was a hope rather than a reality. So why do I talk about the benefits of failure? Simply because failure meant a stripping away of the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was and began to direct all my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. Had I really succeeded at anything else, I might never have found the determination to succeed in the one arena I believed I truly belonged. I was set free because my greatest fear had been realized, and I was still alive, and I still had a daughter whom I adored, and I had an old typewriter and a big idea. And so, rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. You might never fail on the scale that I did, but some failure in life is inevitable. It is impossible to live without failing at something. Unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default. Failure gave me an inner security that I had never attained by passing examinations. Failure taught me things about myself that I could have learned no other way. I discovered that I had a strong will and more discipline than I had suspected. I also found out that I had friends whose value was truly above the price of rubies. The knowledge that you have emerged wiser and stronger from setbacks means that you are, ever after, secure in your ability to survive. You will never truly know yourself or the strength of your relationships until both have been tested by adversity.
Such knowledge is a true gift. For all that is painfully won, and it has been worth more than any other qualification I ever earned. So given a time turner, I would tell my 20-year-old self that personal happiness lies in knowing that life is not a checklist of acquisition or achievement. Your qualifications, your CV, are not your life. Though you will meet many people of my age and older who confuse the two. Life is difficult and it's complicated and beyond anyone's total control. And the humility to know that you, that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. Now, you might think that I chose my second theme, the importance of imagination, because of the part it played in rebuilding my life. But it is not wholly so. Though I personally will defend the value of bedtime stories to my last gasp, I have learned to value imagination in a much broader sense. Imagination is not only the uniquely human capacity to envision that which is not, and therefore the font of all invention and innovation. It is arguably most transformative and revelatory capacity. It is the power that enables us to empathize with humans whose experiences we have never shared. One of my greatest formative experiences of my life preceded Harry Potter, though it informed much of what I subsequently wrote in those books. This revelation came in the form of one of my earliest day jobs. Though I was slopping off to write stories during my lunch hours, I paid the rent in my early 20s by working at the African Research Department of Amnesty International's headquarters in London. There, in my little office, I read hastily scribbled letters smuggled out of a totalitarian regime by men and women who were risking imprisonment to inform the outside world of what was happening to them. I saw photographs of those who had disappeared without trace, sent to amnesty by their, de by their desperate families and friends. I read the testimony of tortured victims and saw the pictures of their injuries I opened handwritten eyewitness accounts of summary trials and executions, of kidnappings, and of rapes. Many of my co-workers were ex-political prisoners. People who had been displaced from their homes or fled into exile because they had the tendacity to speak against their governments. Visitors to our office included those who had come to give information or try to find out what had happened to those they had left behind. I shall never forget the African torture victim, a young man no older than I was at the time, who had become mentally ill after he had endured in his homeland. He trembled uncontrollably as he spoke into a video camera about the brutality inflicted upon him. He was a foot taller than I was, and seemed as fragile as a child. I was given the job of escorting him back to the underground station afterwards, and this man whose life had been shattered by cruelty took my hand with exquisite courtesy and wished me future happiness. And as long as I live, I shall remember walking along an empty corridor 
and suddenly hearing from behind a closed door a scream of pain and horror such as I have never heard before. The door opened and the researcher poked out her head and told me to run and make a hot drink for a young man sitting with her. She had just given him news that in retaliation for his own outspokenness against his country's regime, his mother had been seized and executed. Every day working in, during the week in my 20s, I was reminded how incredibly fortunate I was to live in a country with a democratically elected government where legal, legal representation and a public trial were the rights of everyone. Every day I saw more evidence about the evils humankind will inflict on their fellow humans to gain or maintain power. I began to have nightmares, literal nightmares, about some of the things I saw, I heard, or I read. And yet I also learned about human goodness at Amnesty International, more of it than I had ever known before. Unlike any other creature on this planet, humans can learn and understand without having experienced. They can think themselves into other people's places. Of course, this power, like my brand of fictional magic, that is morally neutral. One might use such an ability to manipulate or control just as much as to understand and sympathize. Many prefer not to exercise their imagination at all. They choose to remain uncomfortable with the bounds of their own experience, never troubling to wonder how it would feel to have been born other than they are. They can refuse to hear screams or to peer inside cages. They can close their minds and hearts to any suffering that does not touch them personally. They can refuse to know. I might be tempted to envy people who can live that way, except that I do not think they have any fewer nightmares than I do. Choosing to live in narrow spaces leads to a form of mental agoraphobia, and that brings its own terrors. I think the willfully unimaginative see more monsters. They are more afraid. What is more, those who choose not to empathize enable real monsters. For without ever committing any act of outright evil ourselves, we collude with it through our own apathy. One of the many things I learned at the end of that classics quarter down which I ventured at the age of 18 in search of something I could not then define was this, written by the Greek author Plutarch. What we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. That's an astonishing statement, and yet proven a thousand times every day of our lives. It expresses in part our inescapable connection to the outside world, the fact that we touch each other's lives simply by existing. But how much more are you, Harvard graduates, likely to touch other people's lives? 
your intelligence, your capacity for hard work, the education you have earned and received give you unique status and unique responsibilities. Even your nationality sets you apart. The great majority of you belong to the world's only remaining superpower. The way you vote, the way you live, the way you protest, the pressure you bring to bear on your government has an impact way beyond your borders. That is your privilege and your burden. If you choose to use your status and influence to raise your voice on behalf of those who have no voice, if you choose to identify not only with the powerful but with the powerless, if you retain the ability to imagine yourself into the lives of those who do not have your advantage, then it will not only be your proud families who celebrate your existence, but thousands and millions of people whose reality you have helped change. We do not need magic to change the world. We carry all the power we need inside ourselves already. We have the power to imagine better. I'm nearly finished. I have one last hope for you, which is something that I already had at 21. The friends with whom I sat on graduation day have been my friends for life. They are my children's godparents, the people to whom I've been able to turn in times of trouble, people who have been kind enough not to sue me when I took their names for Death Eaters. And at our graduation, we were bound by enormous affection, by our shared experience of a time that could never come again. And of course, by the knowledge that we held certain photographic evidence that would be exceptionally valuable if any of us ran for prime minister. So today, I wish you nothing better than similar friendships. And tomorrow, I hope that even if you remember not a single word of mine, you remember those of Seneca, another of those old Romans I met when I fled down the classics corridor and retreat from career ladders in search of ancient wisdom. As is a tale, so is life. Not how long it is, but how good it is, is what matters. I wish you all very good lives. Thank you very much. So that is one awesome speech given by Harry Potter creator J.K. Rowling to Harvard grads back in 2008. And it's just about as brilliant as a speech can get, if you ask me. I wish someone had given me that kind of advice when I was graduating to prepare myself for the long road ahead of me. Failure and imagination, and good friends. Key things to understand in this life if we want to get anywhere. You might be thinking to yourself, now, what is Harry Potter's creator got to do with training and martial arts like this podcast is supposed to be about? <laughs> well, if you haven't figured it out yet, training is about life and how you live it. What we do on the mats prepares us for everything off of them. <laughs>
In fact, if you can't take what you learn on the mats and use it to amplify and improve your life, then you probably are in need of finding a new place to train. Or you yourself need to make some serious views of what it is you're doing right now and what you're doing wrong in your training. Failure is something that comes with living. Few people can honestly say that they have made it anywhere in life without falling on their face. Some of us fall a whole bunch of times. What we learn in training is that when we get knocked down, you can stay down. That's a choice. But a fighter always gets back up. More than that, martial arts training teaches us to take ownership of that failure and to take a good look at how and why it happened and not just learn from it, but make sure that you end up in a better place because of it. None of it is necessarily going to be easy. It can take a long time, but you do the work. You take it and you take it, and you take it, and you move on. The greatest improvements in this life I've found often come on the heels of failure. And believe me, I've experienced it more than a few times myself. It's important to keep it in mind when we hit that wall and everything seems the darkest. Good things will happen just as long as you get up. Just as long as you learn. Just as long as you own it. Just as long as you do everything you can to succeed. Or you can not take responsibility. You can stay down. You can blame others. You can point fingers. You can make up stories. You can drag others down. You can do all that. But none of that is what you learn from your training. And if you act in that way, you've learned nothing from your training. As for imagination... Nothing could be more important for long-term commitment to something like the martial arts, especially for those who go on to teach. Imagination and creativity are key things for true learning in the martial arts, or in anything, I'd think. You have to see the relationship between questions and answers that strategy asks for in training. You have to find new ways to do things that need to get done. You have to be open-minded to new material and new viewpoints. Creativity and imagination are the cornerstones of longevity in the martial arts. There will, of course, be times when we have to hit the bottom and it seems that all there is is failure and that all your imagination and desire has been used up and you're just dried up. You're done. But you need to understand that this is part of it too. 
You have to own that too. You have to admit to yourself that you're frying out. And guess what? You have to keep going. You still have faith and vision and commitment and simply have to have the discipline to keep at it every day, regardless. After all, you're a fighter. You don't believe in giving up. Not on yourself, not on your school, not on your teacher, not on the people around you that you train with, not on any of it. You will be the last one standing if that's what it comes to. You won't give up and you won't give in. And as for the friends bit, friends are the people that have your back no matter what. And those that don't, you didn't need them anyways. Always be a good friend. So, the question of the day. I've heard a lot about this drink I don't even know what this means. <laughs> I'm going to read this again to myself. Oh, I'm just misreading the question of the day. I've heard a lot about this drink or that drink that can help you with training. And I'm just wondering what you drink during the day and during training. I get it. Yeah, there's a lot of things out there that people drink. You know, like there's those energy drinks. There's all these different shakes, there's these pre-workout things, post-workout things, all of these things. Um, actually, that's a really good question. And I have a really good answer for you. Water. That's it. I drink water. I usually have a coffee first thing in the morning. Sometimes I have some white or green tea mid-morning. But then it's water. And usually alkaline water, but water. And three 750 milliliter bottles of it through the day. And I don't drink much alcohol these days. Maybe a beer every so often. Or maybe some good scotch on a special occasion. But mostly, without a fault, water. Every day, all day. If you think about it, your body doesn't run on energy drinks. It doesn't require supplemental liquids. It runs on and is made of and requires water. That simple. But I don't believe in drinking water while I work out. The army taught me to get rid of that form of shunting. Water isn't going to give you energy. If you were drinking water in the middle of class, it's really just you needing a break and wanting to take a drink to make you feel okay with taking that break. I drink water after I'm done or before I start. So there you go. Water. Get it in you. That was actually a good question once I understood what it was. Oh my lord, I need to wear glasses when I'm reading. <laughs> Anyhow, um, yeah, water, 
don't drink that other stuff, honestly. You know, if that gets you through a day and you need it, then fill your boots. But if you want my advice, what you need is more water and and get it in you. So there you go. We're going to end the podcast there for another day. Um, if you're liking this thing, please leave a review. Not just please, leave a review. Give it a five-star review. But not only that, uh, put some words down. You know, I know you can do it. It doesn't really take much to do a review. I think this is great. Everybody should listen to it. You know how it goes. Um, the other thing you can do is you can check us out on Instagram. Um, we are on Facebook. Um, both places, my advice to you would be to look for my martial arts school first. And that on Instagram is the Eek Academy. Um, on Facebook, you can find the Eek Academy of Martial Arts. We also have on Facebook the Warrior's Way podcast page. You can look for that too. Um, we have a website. I post some stuff on there as much as I can. And yeah, check us out. And like I said, leave a review if you like this podcast. Uh, and one last thing, if you like the the podcast, as I've said before, or if this is your first time listening, I have written a bunch of books on this sort of thing. First one is named after, or the podcast is named after the first book, Warrior's Way, A Guide to Lifelong Learning in the Martial Arts. And the second one is called A Wolf in the Woods, all about a run-in and subsequent battle I had in the woods with a big old wolf and how that kind of changes your view of how to train, which, like I say all the time, is going to be a podcast eventually. Um, But there's just so much cool stuff to talk about with all the other ones. Anyhow, thank you very much for listening. If you are my constant listener. Um, This thing happens because of you. Get out there and let other people know about it, though. Um, Already, we've had such success with the podcast that I'm honestly humbled and blown away. Um, Well over 10,000 listens already, which is incredible. Um, And that's all because of you guys. So if you like it, please spread the word and let's see that number increase even more. Um, Let your friends know about it. Let the people in your gyms know about it. Um, Spread the posts on Instagram, Facebook, and all that kind of jazz. And with that, I am going to leave you. Until next time, get on those mats and have some fun. Train hard. Try some new things. Do some jujitsu. Try Kali or Silat or some martial art that you never thought you'd ever try. Find a good school if you're not training yet. Or if you are and you're questioning if this is a good school or not. Um, Once you find a good one, stick with it and support your teachers and your training partners. Because without all of that, you've really got nothing. Um, And be a good friend. Do some good things. Like I say to my kids' classes all the time, when you see it's a rainy day and all those worms come out, you can just walk past them and let them writhe on the sidewalk or you can, you know, 
scoop them up and put them somewhere. Now, I'm not telling you to do that, and you have to do that to prove you're a good friend. I'm just saying, do good things in this world. We only have this planet, this life, and these people and things around us. Let's take care of them and help everybody live an awesome life. Thanks.